Welcome to the Calvary Podcast, a ministry of Calvary Episcopal Church recorded live in Memphis. The Calvary Podcast is weekly sermons, but also conversations, reflections, and provocations about the mystery of God and what it means to be human in the world in need of repair. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our Redeemer. Amen. Years ago, I was doing some research on mental health in the holiday season. Now, everyone knows that the holidays are stressful. There's this common knowledge of the blue Christmas, the danger of the seasonal affective disorder. One Google search for sadness and holidays, and you'll find thousands of results trying to help you get through this very worst time of the year, this time when we're at our most fragile due to stress and overeating and overspending and upset sleep schedules and being trapped in confined spaces with people you see only once a year, and how studies show that rates of psychological breakdown and suicide skyrocket, right? Well, no, (laughs) actually, um, that's wrong. And it's not just a little wrong. As I started looking for the actual data behind this, this widely held assumption, I found that the studies on this belief showed the exact opposite. In the weeks leading up to Christmas, the rates of psychiatric admissions to emergency departments are the lowest of the whole year. And in general, all holidays show this tendency. Thanksgiving, Fourth of July, etc. In case you're curious, uh, the numbers point to late winter, early spring as the low point for America's mental health as a whole. The only holiday where you see a rise above normal rates is New Year's Day. And while I bet each of us has anecdotal evidence of just how crazy they feel in December, finding out this kind of rang true for me. Because the lead up to Christmas is all hope. You know, we're waiting for a baby. And the whole non-religious world is somehow here for it. You don't have to be churchy to love the season. Our nation animates with this nostalgic reverie, silver bells and strings of streetlights and the sugar plum fairy. Just enough people driving around with those little felt reindeer antlers on their cars to make you remember that even in Memphis, every driver has a mother who loves them. You pour out your money into gifts, feeling like maybe you're making up a little for another year of being a lackluster daughter or sister or friend. You think about the resolutions you'll adopt next week after you help yourself to another piece of pie. It's after the visits. Nerves frayed, replaying the conversations with those people you see only once a year, the credit card bills rolling in, bloated from a week of saying yes to seconds and desserts, and you wake up to the exact same world in 2021 that you left in 2020. 
that's the time of the emotional fallout. I'd say it could just be me, but the data says it's not, which is very helpful to hear. We've had our season of waiting and hope and the anticipation and the preparation for the revelation of the word of God, for God to enter into the world, for the ancient promises to be fulfilled. Lives like watered gardens, peace on earth, goodwill to man, and a son is born unto us, perfect and bald and squishy. And ten days later, reality comes crashing back in on us. The world around us looks quite a lot like the world before the revelation. Even in our gospel, we get pubescent Jesus running away from his family and copying an attitude with his terrified mother whose side we are all on and basically telling her that, you know, Joseph's not my real dad. Ouch. But also, what emotional resonance this passage has. The lectionary committee, you know, they really nailed it with this choice. This is the only story in our Bible of the boy Jesus. And of course, it's our master storyteller, Luke, who brings it to us. Luke has an intention here that you might miss if you simply focus with your mother lenses on tween Jesus. Raymond Brown points out that Luke, in telling these sweet stories of the infancy and boyhood of Jesus, is actually giving us the gospel in miniature. He's teaching us how to read the rest of the story. The Son of God shows up at the temple, and what does he do? He listens. He questions. We have no idea the questions he's asking. We only know that it's important that he's asking them. There's been a revelation, and exploration must follow that. We have no idea the lessons that he's taking from this moment. We only know that it's important that, it's, that he is learning at the temple. God is entering into the world, and Luke keeps putting questions in everyone's mouths in response. How can this be? How will I know? Where will this lead us? What will this look like? What does it mean? He wants us to learn to ask these questions too. We all encounter the divine in some way. But if it doesn't lead to exploration, if it stops there, then the story dies. Luke says that the boy Jesus disappeared for three days from his increasingly frantic parents. He tells us this story to ready us for the three days in the tomb, the silence of unknowing while Jesus is about his father's business. Because there will be moments when these questions of God, where did you go? Didn't you know we were afraid? There are moments where these questions are not only escapable, inescapable, but are apparently the right thing to ask. Maybe the message of the 10th day of Christmas 
the New Year's fallout is that this pursuit of the divine contains these things too. Jesus goes dark for 20 years after this event, growing and listening and questioning. As much as we wanted God to show up and make all things right, apparently faith isn't an on-off switch. Your salvation isn't a formula. In seminary, my dean was teaching a class where we were talking about this concept that we're talking about today, that this revelation of God has appeared. The age to come when all things would be set right has been set in motion. And how we live somewhere in both this already moment and also in this not yet. I raised my hand and asked, but why does the now have to be so hard? It had to have been a class in late winter or early spring, judging by the nature of the question. And the dean looked at me over the rims of his glasses and he pointed his finger up at me and said, because anything worth doing is hard. Amen. If you're curious about Calvary Episcopal Church, we are an eclectic bunch of Christian people who don't all think the same thoughts or dress the same way or vote for the same candidates or even believe all the same things about the mystery of God and what it means to be human. But we do believe that we need each other because of our differences, not in spite of them, and that God calls us into unity, not uniformity. Subscribe to the Calvary Podcast at calvarymemphis.org slash podcast or wherever you get your podcasts. Visit Calvary in person at the corner of 2nd and Adams in the heart of downtown Memphis, Tennessee.